turn to uh, Luke chapter 20. Uh, We're going to pick it up in verse 41. As they're still passing out Bibles, just by way of introduction, we left off with Jesus being examined by the religious leaders. Um, You know, this was uh, the Passover week, traditionally when uh, they would examine the sacrificial lambs that were going to be sacrificed, commemorating that, uh, that holy day of Passover, that time when the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt, and God going to Pharaoh, sending a messenger to Pharaoh, saying, hey, let my people go, right? That's what Moses said, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. He said no. And so uh, God finally sent the angel of death uh, to kill the firstborn, of, uh, firstborn male child of, of everyone there, and uh, told the Israelites through Moses, listen, uh, the angel of death is coming, and uh, if you will anoint the doorpost of your house with the blood of a sacrificed lamb, a pure, unspotted, unblemished lamb, uh, then the angel of death will pass over your house. And of course, this all prefigured and pointed to the person and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, shedding his blood uh, for the remission of sins, giving his life as a ransom for many. And this is how the Bible says that God demonstrates his love for us, that Jesus would give his life in this way. And so the Jews here commemorating this this, uh, holy uh, time of Passover when this happened, and, uh, and of course, uh, they would make their sacrifices, and they would examine, the religious leaders would examine those sacrifices, and so that's what's happening here. It's during this feast of, of uh, Passover that now um, they're examining, these same religious leaders examining Jesus, our Passover lamb. And now they're not giving him a fair shake, much like when they would examine the sacrifices that people would make. The religious leaders had uh, become a den of thieves, and they would set up market there in the temple courts, and they would often take those sacrifices that people had brought to make, and they would find some sort of a blemish, air quotes, blemish in them. There's nothing wrong with them, but they wanted to sell them uh, their own uh, unspotted uh, unblemished lamb that they had, probably the one that had come before them that wanted to sacrifice their unblemished lamb. Oh, no, there's a spot in it. It's no good. We've got to sell you one. But, you know, uh, we got one right here. You just happen to have. Now, we can take that old one off your hands, too. So we'll just take that old one off your hands. And, of course, the guy then would take it around, probably put it right in the pen with the next unblemished one that they had for sale to offer to the next person. And so with the same thing with Jesus, they're not giving him a fair shake. They're giving him the third degree. They're questioning Jesus, trying to find fault in him, trying to discredit him before the people. And three times now they've come to Jesus, bombarding him with questions, and uh, Jesus refuting every question and leaving them really looking like fools. They're trying to make Jesus look like a fool and discredit him before the people, but they, by the end of the exchanges, they are coming up on the short end of the stick. And last week, their question revolved around the afterlife. As the Sadducees, who didn't believe in heaven, didn't believe in life after death, they're seeking to discredit Jesus. And so they come up with this question that centers around the idea of a resurrection. And uh, they're trying to show the absurdity of resurrection because they don't believe in any of these things. But answering the Sadducees, Jesus responded that they had two fundamental problems. Number one, they didn't know the scriptures. And number two, they didn't know the power of of God. <clears throat> Here now today, Jesus follows up all of these questions that they've been peppering him with. Now he's got some questions of his own. We're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at a question, we're going to look at a caution, and we're going to look at a commendation. 
Luke chapter 20, verse 41. It says, And he, Jesus, said to them, these religious leaders, how can they say that the Christ is the son of David? Now, David himself said in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And therefore, David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Simple, straightforward question, right? Once again, the harmony of the Gospels is helpful here. Because Jesus here in our text starts off, how can they say that the Christ is the son of David? But Matthew's gospel backs up a little bit in the story, includes more of the picture here for us. And it tells us in Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 and 42, that while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them saying, what do you think about the Christ? This is his opener. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of of David. Now, this is important because this question, what do you think about the Christ, is the most important question that you will ever answer in your entire life. This question, what do you think about the Christ? Single greatest question, because the answer to this question determines your, internal, your eternal destiny. It, it determines everything. So what do you think about the Christ? Do you think that Jesus was a good teacher? Do you think that he was a prophet? Do you think that Jesus is a fictional character that somebody just made up, like the Easter Bunny or like Santa Claus? Do you think Jesus is any of these things, or do you think that Jesus is God incarnate? Do you think that Jesus is the Redeemer of mankind? Do you think that Jesus is the Savior of the world? What do you think about Jesus Christ? See, your answer determines life and death, because Jesus said this. He said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As well, the Bible tells us that it's impossible to please God without faith. This is Hebrews 11.6, and we're going to come back to this. It's really important. But it tells us it's impossible to please God without faith. Anybody who wants to come to him, to God, must, here it is, must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely Seek him. Now that word believe, it means to be persuaded. It means to trust. It means to place your confidence in. And the Bible is clear that unless you believe in this way, unless you believe in Jesus Christ, there is no hope for us unless we believe in Jesus Christ. If we're persuaded, we trust, we place our confidence in Jesus Christ, we have no hope. Now, this is more than an intellectual affirmation when we talk about believing. Um, there are examples in the scriptures where we see demons who profess that Jesus is, in fact, Lord. Are they saved? Do they have the hope of eternal life? Is their destination ultimately heaven? No. Why? Because their belief is an intellectual belief. It is an intellectual affirmation of who Jesus is but it does not represent a heart surrender to the person and the work of Jesus Christ, right? This is what James talks about in James chapter 2. He's talking about your works, talking about how we live our life and not working to earn a right standing with God, but he basically makes the case in James chapter 2, look, if, if you have faith, true faith, then what it's going to do, it's going to, it's going to trans, transform your life you're going to be made into a new creation in Christ and your works will bear out 
what in fact you believe, what your faith truly is in. That if you have faith and you will have good works, they're synonymous, and you will see the fruit of your faith exercised in how you live out your life. And so Jesus here, he's asking these religious leaders, what do you believe about the Christ? And specifically, what he goes to, he focuses on the lineage of the Messiah. He says, whose son is he? See, one of the titles frequently used for the Messiah in the first century was the son of David. Now, this title, Son of David, it stems from an event that happened in 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you were with us when we went through the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, we addressed this. We'll look at it again briefly this morning. But there was this event that transpired, and basically what happened was that David woke up one day and he said, man, I want to build a temple for God. I want to build a house for God. Here, all of us, we live in these houses, but, but we don't have this temple and it's burdened in my heart. And so he goes to the prophet Nathan. He's like, hey, I, I want to build a temple for God. And Nathan is like, knock yourself out, bro. Look, if that's on your heart, you go do it. May the Lord be with you. That's an amazing thing. Well, God speaks to Nathan the prophet that night and basically says, look, you misspoke. You got to go make it right. Tell David, <coughs> he can't build a temple for me. He's a man of war. He's got blood on his hands kind of thing. And uh, he says, David can't build my temple. But here's what... Here's what I want you to tell David. Tell David that your son, David, your son can build the temple. But as for you, I will be with you, God speaking through the prophet Nathan. I'll be with you wherever you go. God says, I'm going to make your name great, David. God says, I'm going to appoint a place for you and for the people of Israel. I'm going to give you rest on all sides. And then God adds this. We'll put it on the screen for you. He says, moreover, the Lord declares to you, that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But... My steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all of these words and in accordance with all of this vision, Nathan spoke to David. And so this prophecy promised that David's descendants would rule on the throne of Israel. And all Israel understood that there would be a descendant of David whom the Bible promised would arise in power and authority, would establish his kingdom in perpetuity, and then they, their hope, given their current circumstances, was that the Messiah would come and free them from the bondage of Rome and set up his rule and his reign. But all of their focus was on their earthly empire and their earthly situation. They really weren't heavenly minded about the Messiah. Not right now, not in this first century, not where Jesus has has come to. This is a problem because the prophets also foretold of a greater fulfillment of these promises. Jeremiah said this, he said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise 
to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. See, much bigger, much more elevated thing than just a kingdom here on earth. This is what's in view. Isaiah the prophet said it this way. He said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And if you can remember all the way back to when we first started in the Gospel of Luke, I know we've been here for a lot of months, but back in Luke chapter 1, the angel of the Lord speaking to Mary, saying this, Behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you'll bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him, here it is, the throne of his father David. And see, this is what these religious leaders misunderstood, right? That the Messiah would be both human and divine, right? They totally misunderstood this. So Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter. He quotes here in our text from Psalm 110, verse 1. This is a messianic psalm. Right? This is a scripture everybody understood to be a messianic prophecy. And this noted that King David, right, called the Messiah his Lord. And this is the meaning is that Messiah is not just the son of David, but that he is also the Lord of David. Now, so so this is this is a big deal, right? Israel is a strong patriarchal society, the father ruled. Father was large and in charge. Doesn't matter if you're married and you have kids. If your father's still around, he's still the head of the family kind of deal. So you're never going to have the head of a family, David being the head of his family, calling his son Lord. It's also obviously something much bigger in view here when he's saying that. And um, this is what Jesus is pointing to. Look, the prophets foretold of a greater fulfillment of the promises that God made to David. And so Jesus, what's he do? He's talking to these religious leaders. And once again, he's using the lens of scripture to say, get your eyes off your circumstances. Get your eyes off of the physical here and now. Get your eyes off your earthly empire and turn them heavenward. And do so through the lens of scripture and understand what's going on. Here's our application today. You're going, okay, great. Great history lesson. Understand it. What's this got to do with me? Here's what's got to do with you and me. There are many today who have various opinions about Jesus. Just as these religious leaders had an opinion about the Messiah. And their opinion about the Messiah was not really fully informed by the scriptures. And sometimes people's opinion about Jesus Christ is not fully formed by the scriptures as well. And we have to be very careful Right, that our opinion about Jesus lines up with the Bible. Because I don't care what your opinion is, if it doesn't line up with Scripture, it's worthless. Okay? And there are a lot of people who fashion Jesus into the image that they want Jesus to be for them, 
right? But it's not the image that Scripture supports. A lot of people want to talk about how loving and accepting that Jesus was, how tolerant Jesus was. Okay, yes, very loving, very accepting, very tolerant, but not tolerant of sin, not compromising for a second on the standard of righteousness that the Bible has has established. And so we can't just say, oh, I love this Jesus that I've painted in my mind that does not match up with Scripture. You get my point? This is the application here. We have to be very careful. Now let me put Hebrews 11.6 back up on the screen. It says again, it's impossible to please God without faith. Anybody who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Some of your translations say those who diligently seek him. Now that word believe, we've established, it means to be persuaded, it means to trust, it means to place your confidence in. And as well, that word sincerely, or if in your translation it says those who diligently seek him, that's the same word in the Greek. Here's what that means. It means to seek out, it means to search for, it means to investigate, it means to scrutinize. See, here's the the thing. The religious leaders thought they knew everything about the Messiah, right? But what they thought they knew about the Messiah did not match up with the Scriptures. We are called to believe, to be persuaded, to trust, to place our confidence in, but it's not a blind belief because we have to sincerely seek Him. We have to diligently seek Him, which means we seek out, we search for, we investigate, we scrutinize. And how do we investigate and scrutinize We do it through the lens of Scripture. That's how we do it. See, it's so critically important. Because what these guys thought they knew about the Messiah actually prevented them from receiving and worshiping Jesus. That's a problem. That's a profound problem. Jesus told these same leaders in John chapter 5, he says, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they, these Scriptures, Are they which testify of of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. And so Jesus has a question, and now he has a caution. And we see that beginning in verse 45. It says, then in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplace, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best place at the feast, who devour widows' houses. Keep that in mind. We'll come back to that. That's important. And for a pretense, they make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. All right, so Jesus now moves from a question, moves to this caution. And and basically, look, not only did these religious leaders refuse to receive Jesus... Not, not only weren't they, they were looking for the Messiah that they wanted, not for the Messiah that the Bible promised. That's a problem. That's a bad day. They actually sought to be received by the people. In other words, uh, they, you know, they wouldn't receive Jesus, but they wanted everyone to receive them. And the way they wanted everyone to receive them <coughs> was they wanted to be praised by the people. They're seeking the praise, the glory, the honor that's due to the Lord. They want it for themselves. Warren Wiersbe said, put it this way, he said, these religious leaders did not desire personal holiness, they wanted public recognition. Okay, big problem. See, for them, religion was a means to an end, and the end was them. Okay, so, so the religion was just a vehicle 
for, for them to receive glory, for them to receive honor, for them to receive riches, all of these things, right? And so they wore these special garments. They demanded these special titles. They wanted to be greeted in these eloquent ways. They wanted the best seats uh, of honor at all the places where they would go and so on. And there's actually multiple levels of tragedy here, okay? Multiple levels. Number one, they rejected their Messiah. That's a bad day right there, okay? The the Messiah that they said they were so earnestly looking for, they rejected him because they were looking for the Messiah of their manufacture, not the Messiah that that, that was promised in Scripture, right? Number two, the other level of tragedy, rather than serving the people. And this was their duty. Remember the parable Jesus told about the vineyard, the vine dressers, and, the, and, and God, the owner of the vineyard, and this picture of Israel, and really at the end of the day, just showing that the religious leaders were derelict in their duty. They really weren't caring for the vineyard, translate God's people, the nation of Israel, and so on. They weren't caring for the people the way that God wanted them to. And this is what's going on. These religious leaders, rather than serving the people... They fooled them and they exploited them and they did it all through hypocrisy, pretending to be something that they weren't. And the third tragedy here in all of this is that instead of leading the people to Jesus, they were leading them straight to hell. Jesus himself said that. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte and when he's one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. And so now, now Jesus, he warns his disciples, and he does so in a loud public way so that everybody can hear. He's talking to his disciples, but he's talking to everybody. And here's what he says as he addresses them. He says, beware of these guys. Now that word beware, if you're given to taking notes, you could circle it nearby. Here's what you could write. To turn your mind towards with special attention, with careful attention. To turn your minds towards with careful attention. Here's why that is really important. Here's how that matters to us. You and I have to be very careful who it is we listen to. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, you need to turn your mind towards and give careful attention to what people are teaching you, right? When someone claims to speak for God, when someone claims to represent Jesus, you can't just swallow everything that they feed you, you have to have your mind engaged with careful attention to what is being offered, okay? Blows my mind. There are all kinds of people today who allegedly speak for God. They write books, they have blogs, they are are preaching messages, and it amazes me just how readily people consume this stuff without really taking a walk through the scriptures to, to vet what is being said. Now, I'm going to illustrate this principle this way. Years ago, when I was in the fire department, we would bring in, a lot of times we would do community meals, but a lot of times we weren't. We, we couldn't. We were in battalion headquarters. There's a bunch of people there, a bunch of guys coming and going. So a lot of times, we, we would bring, guys would bring in their own food. We'd have different shelves marked out for, for each, each of the crew members, and this one guy was getting upset because he, 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 you know, he kept bringing in good stuff and, it, and people kept raiding his food. So he finally, he had enough. He bought in a box of Cheez-Its and basically he went out in the, ba- he dumped them out, went out in his backyard, got something that his dog had left in the backyard, put that in the bottom of the box and put the Cheez-Its back in the box. And that's what he stuck on his shelf. 
And miraculously, people quit tampering with his food, right? He found the box of Cheez-Its, three-quarters of the way eaten, and that little gift at the bottom exposed, and whoever it was who was stealing it got the message. Now, I tell you little stories like this, and, and, and my fear when, when you tell a story is that you guys will leave, and that's the only thing you'll remember from the day, okay? As you're remembering this story, I want you to remember the point that you got to be careful what you eat, okay? You can't just indiscriminately swallow whatever it is. You, you, you might want to watch because, um, well, I'll just, say, I'll just say it this way. There's people preaching some turds. I'll just say it that way, okay? You got to be careful, man, and you got to be careful who you listen to. Um, <laughs> the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 11, tells us this. It says, the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. Now, if the verse ended right there, there would be a problem because that would illustrate a lot of people today that that they're open-minded and they listen eagerly to different teaching and they swallow it like some babies. They just test the the world with their, everything goes in their mouth. It's like, that's disgusting. Get that out of your mouth. And some people, they they just do that. Now, the verse doesn't end there because these Bereans They're noble people. Look at what it says next. It says, they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Okay? This should, somebody should make a poster out of this thing, man. This is something for you just to keep, you know, tattooed in your mind's eye that this is who you and I are supposed to be. You can't just indiscriminately listen to some teaching, and go, wow, that guy's funny. Wow, that guy is eloquent. Wow, I love the way that that person teaches. Wow, I, I just love how they write. It just, it just hits me right in my wheelhouse. This, makes, uh, this, this just makes me feel so good about you know, where I'm at or whatever it is. Great. Test it by the scriptures. That's the point. You can't just swallow indiscriminately. And just as Jesus is saying, watch out for these guys. And nothing's changed. 2,000 years later, there are people you got to watch out for, okay? So important. So we've got a question, we've got a caution, and now Jesus gives a commendation. Chapter 21, verse 1. It says, And he looked up, and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all, for all these, (coughs) out of their abundance, have put in uh, offerings for God, but she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. Now, this is in contrast to Jesus' dealing with these religious leaders, right? Here he is in the midst of dealing with these religious leaders and he's, he's asked them a question in response. He's given a caution for, hey, watch out for these guys, right? And so now here he's got, you know, guys that are, are ignorantly rejecting him, pridefully seeking praise and gifts from men. And notice they devour widows' houses. And now he looks up and who's he see? 
widow, right? And she's putting in her two mites. She's using all that she owns to worship God. A mite, by the way, is about 1% of a day's wage. She puts in two mites, so the equivalent is she put in something like five bucks. And it's all she had to live on, right? And notice verse 2 says a certain poor widow. That translated, that word poor, it means literally she was poverty stricken. Poverty stricken. And who, who knows? Jesus has just made the point that these religious leaders in verse 47 of chapter 20 devour widows' houses. For all we know, this poverty-stricken woman was poverty-stricken because one of these religious leaders had stolen her house. It's entirely possible. Some to take a walk with. Not a lot of coincidences here. Warns them, looks up, there's his object lesson. And so... Here he's got this, this gal. Now the Talmud step, stipulated that two mites was the absolute least that you could give an offering. And so Jesus, notice the words again. He says in verse 3, Truly I say to you that this poor widow, this poverty-stricken widow, has put in more than all, and here's what I want you to get, verse 4, For all of these, out of their abundance, put in offerings for God, but she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she has. Jesus is employing an interesting play on words here. He says that they cast their offerings. The translation of that word offerings literally means gift. He says they gave a gift, but she cast in her livelihood. And that word livelihood in the original, it it means life. They gave a gift, she gave her life. The word is bio in the Greek. And bio can refer to three aspects of life. It can refer to a period or duration of life. It can refer to a manner of life. Or as is the case here, what it refers to is the means of life. They all gave, they all gave a gift. She gave her very means of life. She gave her life, right? I want you to see in verse 1, Jesus, what's he do? He looks up and he sees, right? Here's the point. Jesus sees you and me when we give, right? And, and certainly he notices how much we give, but it's not about how much we give. It's about the heart with which we give, right? God is far more interested in motive of our heart than he is in the simply giving of the amount. Listen to this commentary by David Guzik. He says, the widow's gift of Jesus's, or the widow's gift and Jesus's comment on it also shows us that the value of a gift is determined by what it costs the giver. This is what made the widow's gift so valuable. Jesus' principle here shows us that God does not need our money. If God needed our money, then how much uh, we give would be more important than our heart in giving. Instead, it is our privilege to give to Him, and we need to give because it is good for us, not because it is good for God. So the striking contrast that we see in all of this is on the one hand, you've got the disbelieving, devouring, snake-in-the-grass religious leaders. And on the other hand, you've got this beautifully sincere, sweet, sacrificing servant. Such an incredible contrast. Well, I've got four questions for you as we close. I hope you jot them down. Take a walk with them this week. Maybe discuss them in your community groups. Uh, Question number one, what do you think about Jesus? Who is he? 
By the way, we'll put this up again at the end of the service so if you don't get it or have time to write it down or get your cameras out quick enough, take a picture of it, you'll see it at the end. So what do you think about Jesus? Who is he? Number two, have you searched the scriptures to make sure that the Jesus that you believe in is the same one in the Bible, okay? And, 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 uh, you know, just taking a walk with, hey, I've got a certain belief. This is who Jesus is to me. I think Jesus is loving and tolerant and all of these things. Does that line up with Jesus in Scripture? Okay, does that line up with what the Bible has to say? Number three, what teachers do you listen to? Do you blindly swallow what you hear and read, or do you check the Scriptures to make sure that it's biblical? This is an important question, one that you do well to take a walk with. Now, here's the danger in this question, by the way. You know from the teaching what the right answer is, that you're not supposed to just blindly swallow everything that you read or listen to or every teacher that you like to listen to and get, get fed from. So, you know, the temptation is to say, no, I don't. But do you? Do you just blindly listen to people and trust them without really searching the Scriptures, make sure they're telling you the truth? Number four, what kind of giver are you? What kind of a giver are you? Do you give from abundance Or do you give with a heart of sacrifice? These guys, they gave their gifts out of their abundance. She gave her life.